We have uh, been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Last week we went through the feeding of the 5,000. When we looked at that, how it was really more like 15,000. And it was in that time that Jesus called his disciples to participate in that miracle. And what we've seen is that Jesus is, throughout the gospel, he is intentionally orchestrating the events and situations for his disciples to go into so that they could grow in their faith. Jesus' goal for his disciples isn't just that they become nicer and nicer people, but that they actually trust God for greater and greater things. So he places them in situations where they have to trust him, realizing that there's going to come a day when they're going to have to trust him all day, every day, for everything that takes place in their life. So uh, after the feeding of the 5,000 story that we looked at yesterday, uh, we're going to look at uh, the next story, which is going to be the disciples in the boat in a storm. And uh, each gospel, when it shares this, now this story that we're going to look at today is shared in three gospels. And what I like to do when we come to a story like this, I like to bring in what the other gospels say to give more of a complete picture. And the reason for that is that each gospel will accentuate certain aspects of what's taking place. So I like to do that. So last week we left off in verse 20. And so let me just read verse 20 of chapter 14. And it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And we looked at that word satisfied last week means that they were stuffed. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And, uh, and so when, when um, that took place, let me read verse 21. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides the women and children. So last week when we went through that, the incredible miracle that it was, it wasn't just 5,000, it was women and, and, and children also. So it was more like 15,000 people. We call it the feeding of the 5,000 because it numbers the men, but it's also the women and children. So it's at that place in verse 22 as the story goes, It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And that would be the Sea of Galilee. So it says, immediately. Something's happening here that Jesus feels that he needs to get the disciples away from the crowd immediately. So uh, in John's gospel, it tells us a little bit more as to why. I put that there in your outline. It says, Jesus therefore, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he realizes that the crowd wants to take him, make him the king, and so he realizes it's time to get the disciples out of here. The, Jesus is at the height of his popularity, at least among the crowd, and uh, seeing that the crowd wants to make him king, this would be a great temptation for the disciples. So he says, we need to get you guys out of here. Puts them on the boat, and has apparently told them he will meet up with them in just a little bit, and then he goes away to pray. Now in verse 20, we just read it a few moments ago, it says they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And we talked about the significance of of last week, but uh, what we're going to just highlight again today is that there's going to be one basket for each disciple. And uh, the reason for that, and I want you to write this down, I want to talk about this for just a moment, the 12 baskets are a reminder of what God has done. It's a reminder of what God has done. And this is going to be important in just a couple of moments where the disciples really need to look back on what it is that God has done. And uh, the baskets become a God story. And uh, it's a reminder of what God has done. I'm always weary about sharing too much personal stuff, but I think if you're going to teach it and walk through it, you have to at least share a little bit about the story. And uh, this 
little aspect is very important to Cheryl and I. We, we um, you know, as, as we started the church some 20 years ago, we've always put God first and hopefully in every aspect of our life. What was in 2006, um, as we were planning on building these buildings that we have here, we, we realized that we needed to raise a great deal of money. And so as we prayed, we sensed the Lord was telling us to, to give up two months' salary and put that towards the building fund. Now, we were able to do that because of all the times, all the God stories, the times that we had seen God show up in the past. And so we decided to do that. And God carried us through that time. But at the end of that time, you have to know, we started with nothing. And uh, at the end of that too much, we pretty much had all of it left, and, uh, which was nothing. And uh, so, but, but God had, had carried us through. But it was, and, and Cheryl and I, as we, re, we try to remember, when we talk about this, I, I thought that we had just received our first paycheck after the two months. And Cheryl says, no, it was just before that first paycheck after the two months that Cheryl really sensed that God had another baby that he wanted to place in our family. And we had six at home at the time, seven all total, but, but six at home. And so we, we, as we prayed on this Tuesday night, we get a phone call from an attorney who at that time did, did not attend our church, but there was a baby that was being born, and as he prayed about where that baby should go, he, he, he called us and said, would, would you be interested? And we had not contacted the attorney and said, hey, we want, we're looking or anything like that. But we prayed, and uh, again, we were starting with nothing, and, and uh, God really just began to speak to us and said, this is what you're to do. Well, because we had the God stories in the past of how God showed up, we had the, uh, I would say, the faith, because we had trusted God and seen God show up, to say yes, but we didn't know how we were going to do that. But we sensed that God had called us to do that. So as we prayed and we went forward, what took place is every time for the next six months as the, the process went, every time we would get a bill, we would get a check for that amount every single month along the way, every month without fail for just the right amount. And I could go on and, and on about that story. What was interesting about that is that when we were called on that, God spoke to Cheryl and said, this baby's name is to be Avery Joy. And we didn't know what Avery Joy meant. She tried to look it up in a baby dictionary, couldn't find it. It wasn't until we were halfway through the process that she found the baby dictionary that said the word that Avery means out of heaven. Literally, her name means out of heaven, joy. And for the past 11 years, she has been the joy that has come to our family out of heaven. Had we not had those God stories, those baskets along the way where we trusted God and we could look back and see, God showed up here, God showed up here, God showed up here. When God wanted to show up here, we wouldn't have had the faith to say yes, and we would have missed out on the joy that would come out of heaven. And and so God in the disciples' lives are constantly placing them in the situation so that they can grow in their faith. The Bible is the story of people who didn't just become nicer people, but they trusted God. You know the story of David and Goliath. David, uh, it's a great story. Goliath shows up every day for 40 days and says, who will come out to fight? And the army, which is all Jewish, they're all believers. They all love God. But as soon as they see Goliath, they run away screaming. After 40 days, David shows up. The Goliath comes out that day, says the same thing. And David says, I'll fight him. And they say, you can't fight him. He says, sure I can. 
there was the lion, and God helped me with the lion. There was the bear, and God helped me with the bear. And now there's Goliath, and Goliath is just the next step. The difference between David and the rest of the, the, rest of the army who were believers in the same God is that David had trusted God here and here so that when this showed up, he was able to trust. Many people miss out on what God wants to do because they don't trust here and here. And when Goliath shows up, they have no faith to trust in that situation. Does that make sense? So the baskets are given to them to remind them of what God has done. Now, sadly, they're not going to get it completely right, at uh, at least right up front. So verse 23, it says, uh, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was a long distance from land, battered by the waves. And I've underlined the word battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, when uh, John tells the story, he tells uh, there in uh, John 6, I put it there in your outline, it says, the sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind, a strong wind was blowing. The word strong there is the word megas, for where we get the English word mega. The idea is this is a hurricane force wind. This is not a, a, a tropical storm type thing. This is a mega storm is hitting the boat. And so we would miss that in the, in the English. So it's all stirred up, it's all dark, there's clouds covering, it's at night. And what we find here is that the disciples have sailed right into a storm. Now, I want you to go ahead and write this down. The disciples will find themselves in this storm because they did what Jesus said. They did what Jesus said. Now that's important because you and I live in a religious culture where when you launch out and things aren't going well, the first thing, some good intention, and it's probably okay, uh, Christians will ask, well, is there some sin in your life? And that's a good starting place, but here there's no sin in their life. They're just doing what Jesus said. You and I live in a religious culture where many times if uh, some will say that you know, if, you're, you know, if, if it's God's will, it's just going to work out. If it's God's will, you know, all the doors are going to open. It's going to be smooth sailing. What we see right here is they're doing exactly what Jesus said, but now they are in a storm, and this storm is a mega storm. It's a mega storm. Does that make sense? So it could be, you know, that so in, you know, in our lives, maybe you've launched out in some way. Maybe maybe uh, you got married, you did it right, and you prayed, and you got counsel, and everything said, you know, this is the right thing, and you knew it was from the Lord, and then you got married, and right now you're in a mega storm. You, you launched out in a business and uh, you, know, you prayed, you got good counsel, everything said go, and uh, you launched out, but right now you're in a mega storm. Some, sometimes we sail into the storm not because we're in sin, but because we're exactly where God wants us to be because of something that he wants to do. Now what I also love about this story is this is the second time the disciples will find themselves in a storm on the lake doing what it is that God said to do. But They've grown since the last time they were in a storm. See, the last time they were in the storm, that was in Matthew chapter 8. And when Mark told the story, I put it there in your outline, it says Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Last time Jesus was in the boat. This time Jesus is not in the boat, he's on the shore. Last time they accused Jesus of not caring, this time they're not going to say anything at all. 
But last time they kept rehearsing, we are perishing, we are perishing. And, uh, and, and, uh, and Jesus was in the boat. This time Jesus is not in the boat and they're not saying anything. So the idea is that they've grown a little bit. So that's a good thing. So verse 25, as we continue to unpack this uh, and a couple of observations, it says, and the fourth watch of the night, and I've underlined fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Um, one of the, one of the uh, go ahead and write this down and we'll unpack it. it when you're in a, a storm, a storm of life, you, you know you're in a storm because you can't see your way out. Go ahead and write that down. They can't see a way out. And here there, there's a little clue, and the clue is the fourth watch of the night. Now, this is the Middle East 2,000 years ago. They don't have lighting like we have. You know, you can always see the glow of lights off in the distance, no matter where you are uh, around here. This is 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, they're in a storm. The clouds would be obscuring any, any, any stars that would be out, and so there's no light. So here you are, and it's completely dark. They can't see their way out. And uh, it's also important to know that some of these guys are very seasoned sailors, but they, they don't see a way out of this situation. Growing up, I used to listen to a guy named Steve Brown on the radio. How many of you have ever heard of Steve Brown? One of his favorite things that he used to say is, God delights in letting his people get into holes. God delights in letting his people get into holes so deep that only God can get them out. You ever been there? If you walk with the Lord long enough, you're going to find yourself in that hole. Well, Another way that we know we're in a storm, and you want to write this down, is that we're doing our best and nothing is working and it feels like we're going nowhere. When Mark tells this story, he adds this little detail. It says, straining at the oars for the wind was against them about the fourth watch and it goes on of the night. It's, it's in that storm where you think that we, we really thought that we'd be further along by this point. We thought we'd be further along. We, we shouldn't be in this place by now. And we thought we were doing what it is that God called us to do. And, and we've been working on this situation the very, very best that we know how. Maybe it's, maybe it's a storm in marriage. You said, we're working on it, but we're just, we're just not going anywhere with this. Or again, maybe you, you launched a business and you thought by now we should be, it should be profitable, but right now it's just a storm. And, and it just seems like we're, not, we're doing our best, but nothing's really happening. Well, verse 24, I've placed it on your outline, and uh, it says, but the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, and again I've underlined that word, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Battered by the waves, remember this is a mega storm, and um, hurricane strength we would say. The boat is probably filling up, and uh, so I want you to write this down. It feels like we're taking a beating, and at times it looks like we're going under. So when you're in a storm of life, that's what it's like. You've taken a beating and it looks like we're going under. I think in the storms of life, and let me just take a quick poll. Have you ever been in a storm of life? Anybody here? So, so tell me if this is the worst part when you've been in a storm of life, something that they're experiencing. The worst of all, and I put this on your outline, worst of all, we think God should have shown up in our situation by now. Isn't that the worst part? Because it, it, it's, it's a lot longer than you think it's going to be. There in your outline, it says, uh, it was dark when John tells the story. 
it was dark now and Jesus had not yet come to them. When you look at the time of this storm, it appears that they might have been in the storm this night upwards of eight hours. Now when you're in total darkness in a storm and the, the minutes hang like hours, eight hours is a long time to be in the storm. But what we find is that sometimes the storms that we sail into are, are longer than we thought. And God's doing something in that. And again, I don't like to belabor my story, but if I'm going to teach it, I have to live it. And, and so you all know my story. My, my parents were, uh, they were separated before I was born. So I grew up with my mom and had a stepfather. And ultimately, when I was 13, moved in with another family, which became essentially my family. I met my dad when I was 22 years old. Six years later, um, I, I met him after college. And six years later, he had a, um, when I met him, I was from the first marriage, but he had a daughter from his third marriage. And uh, so she was 18 months old when I met her. So years later, when she is seven, uh, my dad gets arrested and he goes to prison for 10 years. And when he went to prison, uh, he's been in prison for a day, I got called because I was the next of kin. So they said, come get Daisy, you're the next of kin, you're it. So I'll never forget that day when I went to pick up my sister who was seven years old at the time. She looks at me and she says, where are we going? I said, I don't know. It was in the middle of summer and I was planning on going back to school and so I didn't have a job. I wasn't really living anywhere because I was going back to school. And what I can tell you is that so overnight I become a single parent with absolutely no clue. And so I thought, you know, I have a master's degree in psychology and, uh, you know, done some things academically. I thought, you know, I'm going to figure this out. In two years I'll be on top of this. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be on James Dobson. He's going to say, Dan, share your wisdom. (laughs) And let me tell you, the next five years of our lives, nothing went right. And had it not been for even my mom's side of the family that had no connection with with my sister and my foster family stepping in to help, there was no way that we could have, have made it. And, and so it was in that time, in that storm, where I, I began to say, you know, God, where are you and why is this happening? I didn't sign up for this and I thought, I'm, I'm never going to get married. You know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I want to be in ministry, I'm not in ministry, I feel this calling on my life and now I'm a single parent, nobody's going to want to marry me. Now that was 20 years and 12 kids later, so apparently somebody, if you ask enough people, somebody will say yes. But <laughs> But I thought, I'll never have a family. I'll never be back in the ministry. Not, you know, this is never going to work out. And things just get you know, from bad to worse. It was five years, five years before anything began to turn around. So here, here's what I learned. And I, I wanna, you want you to write this down. The lesson of the storm is before God does a work through me, he does a work in me. And what God does is at times allows us to go through these storms. And they're painful. But it's in that storm that he begins to work his deep change inside of us. And so there's going to be much that these disciples are going to have to face. And it's going to be a a very difficult road ahead. And, And right now Jesus sees this storm as just the right tool to do his work in these disciples. And one of the things that I notice when I read these situations that Jesus gets the disciples into Have you noticed that when Jesus gets them into these situations, there is nothing anybody can do 
to get them out of the situation. I mean, this is 2,000 years ago in the, middle of, in the Middle East, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. It's not like they had a Coast Guard. And so sometimes what God does is he allows you and I to get into a storm, but it's a unique storm in that there is nothing that somebody else can do to get you out of it because God is using that tool in your life to bring about his greatest work. Does that make sense? I think more importantly, has anybody been in that situation before? And you look back and you go, there was nothing that anybody could do to fix that. You had to go through that storm. Well, the disciples... I'm sure in this time, you know, it's frustrating because Jesus hasn't showed up as soon as they thought. And so they feel very much alone. But, but the, the reality of this, when Mark tells the story, he adds a little detail there in your outline. It says, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And if I didn't outline it for you on your outline, you, out, you underline it. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. The reality is they felt very alone and overwhelmed but the reality is, and he seems so distant, but, and you want to write this down, that they were never out of his sight. You see, this is a storm 2,000 years ago in the Middle East with no electricity and no technology. The clouds would be obscuring all light. They would be underneath the waves at times and coming up and going down miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They could not see Jesus. But Jesus could see them. And so he sees their situation. It's very dark. Verse 25, it goes on and it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I love that because This time they're in a storm. They're not accusing God of not caring. They're just rowing silently, uh, hoping that Jesus shows up at a certain point. And and so at times I'm sure they think that they're going to die, and then they look out and all they see is something that they think is a ghost. So in their minds it's like, we think we're going to die, and look, death has just showed up. It's it's a ghost, and he's he's right here to take us to our eternal abode. I love um, the way that Matthew says it. Matthew gives kind of the shorter version but Mark expands on it a little bit and gives a little detail just for fun. It says, he came to them walking on the sea. And I love this phrase. And he intended to pass by them. Hi guys. And then keep walking. (laughs) (laughs) But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. Underline that little word cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. Now, when that word cried out doesn't mean, ah, like that. The word there in the original language, I put it there in your outline, is anacrazo. It means to scream up aloud. This is like, ah, I'm completely losing control. So these are our brave disciples at the moment. <laughs> Verse 27. Now here's, here's where it gets fun for me. Has it been fun so far for you? So verse 27 it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, take courage. Now your Bibles say something like, it is I, do not be afraid. Is that what your Bible says, something like that? So we miss something in the English when they translated this over. um, They wanted it to make sense to us, but they missed something because Jesus doesn't say, it is I. In the original language, if you take a literal translation there in your outline, which I put there, it says, and immediately Jesus spake to them saying, 
be of good courage, I am. And do you, do you notice that the he there is in brackets? It's in brackets there to let you know that that word's not in the original language. He says, I am, do not be afraid. Literally, Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am. And what he is doing here is he is invoking the name of the God of Israel who would just say, I am. Uh, later on, we're going to see when they come to arrest Jesus, they will say, we're here to seek Jesus. And he turns to them, and your Bibles will say something like, I am he, or it is I, or something like that. But in the original language, he just says, I am. And when he says that to them, they all fall down backwards. And uh, basically when he calls that name, they, they experience a taste of his power. So here, when Jesus says, I am, the disciples are going to recognize that he has just told them that God is right here, and guess what? He's it. Now, we know that because uh, in verse 28, it says, Peter said to him, Lord, which is speaking to God, if it is you, or if that's you, if you're really God, command me to come to you on the water. And what you notice is that he uses the word command me to come to you on the water. He doesn't say, let me come to you. He says command. And that word, I didn't put it on your outline, means to speak as a king. When a king gives a command, that's what that word is. And so he says, if you are God, and he just calls him God, command me. And so Jesus then responds and gives the command. Verse 29, and he said, come. And, and, I, and I love when Jesus does that. It's just a one-word command, and it's not a suggestion, and it's just come. And so he, he gives the command, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now what I love about this, and you want to write this down, it's in the midst of the storm that Peter is called to take his greatest step of faith. It's interesting that God doesn't wait until everything's working out fine. It's in the midst of his greatest storm that God comes on and says, now take your next step of faith. It wasn't until Peter experienced this storm that he ever thought of walking on the water. God uses this storm so that Peter will be ready to do something he's never done. And as far as we know, nobody has ever done again. And and Peter will forever be uh, remembered as the guy who uh, stepped out of the boat, who walked on the water. I suggest that when Peter's in the boat, the reason that he says, command me to come, and I put this on your outline, the best reason to get out of the boat is because that's where Jesus is. And Peter realizes, and we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about it today, but there's something about going through the storm where God changes you, and all of a sudden in that change, your greatest desire is to be in his presence. And you realize that you're a lot safer with him in the storm, on the water, than sitting in what most would say the safety of the boat. So he's used this storm to do something in Peter's life, and Peter realizes that's where you are, that's where I want to be. It's the change that's taking place. Verse 30, he says, But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And uh, go ahead and and write this down. In the storm, we learn that survival comes from keeping our focus on Jesus, not circumstances. You notice it says when he starts looking at the waves and the wind, all of a sudden he begins to sink. uh, But when he was looking at Jesus, 
he was walking on water, which is pretty incredible. Verse 31, he says, immediately, and I love that word immediately, and hopefully your Bible says immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? The way that you interpret Jesus, your understanding of Jesus will will determine how you read Scripture. So some read this. Here's Peter. He, he gets out of the boat. Now, can we just agree that getting out of the boat is pretty cool. I mean, we don't know anybody who's ever done that before, right? So, but they'll read this, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he goes, and he begins to look at the wind and the rain and the storm and the waves, you know, all of it, and he begins to say, Lord, save me! And Jesus grabs him immediately. And some read this because they have a very stern Jesus, as if Jesus is saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, like, Peter, you're such an idiot. You know, how could, how could, you, how could you, you, you know, why did you do that? I don't think that's the case at all. I think Jesus recognizes that Peter's just done what nobody else has ever done. And, and so when I read this, I read it from the viewpoint of it's a very encouraging Jesus. Peter gets out of the water, starts to walk, but then he starts to sink. Jesus, save me! And so Jesus grabs him immediately and says, Peter, why did you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. Uh, It's a much more encouraging way to read that. The concept that you have of Jesus will determine how you read Scripture. So Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And guess what? Jesus does. Now here's what we get from that. and This is very important for us today. And you want to write this down. The good news is that when God calls us to step out and trust, he rescues us even if we don't get it completely right. You, if you are a parent, you remember the day that your child began to walk. And so when, when our kids begin to take those first steps, I can tell you that the video cameras, now it's the cell phones, come out and, and we're there. We're watching. And when they take that first step, typically what happens is they take the first step and what happens? They fall flat on their face. Do we ever say, oh, you're such an idiot. Why can't you get the kid down the street got it the first time? Why didn't you get it the first time? Would any of us do that? And you want to know why? Because you are created in the image of God. You encourage your children when they fail because you're created in the image of God. So you kind of expect that the first time that your child takes that step, he's probably not going to walk perfectly from there on. Agreed? So when they fall down, what do you say? Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You're doing awesome. And they get back and they get going. When Peter falls down, Jesus has that same heart because he is God. Peter, why'd you doubt? You were doing so great. And what we also notice is that Jesus isn't going to write Peter off because he doesn't get it completely right the first time what takes place in our lives, there's going to come a time where God's going to call you to step out in faith. And when you do, just like learning to walk, you may not get it right the first time. And when you cry out, rescue me, he will. But the heart that he has towards you is the heart of a parent. So he's not saying, oh, you're such an idiot. Why didn't you get it? He says, you're doing great. Why did you doubt? Let's get up and try again. It's much more nurturing, much more encouraging. Do you like that? Yeah. The stern Jesus is very difficult to follow and get excited about. The encouraging Jesus who loves us like a heavenly father is is very much one we'd want to follow. So 
Notice uh, this next verse on your outline. Mark points out something at this point in the story. And it says, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. They had the loaves with them. They had the baskets. But they hadn't connected the dots. They didn't look at the God story before. Still they're looking at their current situation. So they didn't get the, they, they, again, they didn't connect the dots. So verse 32, as it goes on, it says, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him. And I've underlined the word worshipped, saying, you, you are certainly God's son. I, I love that because now the, the wind stops. Now they get it. Now they understand who he is. They didn't get it when he did the miracle but there was something about going through the storm and seeing him show up that now they get who he is. So go ahead and write this down. Insight and understanding, I should put often, uh, comes after the storm. It's interesting to me that they didn't connect the dots when he did the miracle of the 5,000, but he showed up in the storm and now they get it. Now they get it. Write this down. For the disciples, sometimes we win and sometimes we learn. Uh, it's great when we win, but when we don't win, that's where we learn. So they finally learned. The last miracle was a win, but they didn't learn. This time they learned. Now when John closes this story, he, he says it like this on your outline. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. I love that, because he uses that word immediately, and it was at the place that they were supposed to be going. So here's what we find. You want to write this down. God has a way of using the storms of life to get us exactly where we need to be. I think we'd all love it if he could get us there without the storm, but he uses the storm to change us, and on the other end of the storm, he puts us right where we need to be. Do you find that interesting today? If you walk with the Lord, you're going to, at some point in your life, walk into a storm because you're doing exactly what God said. And it's in that storm, he's going to be watching everything, but you're going to feel at times very much alone. It's in that time that he calls us to trust him. But at the end of that storm, it could be that in the midst of that storm, he might call you like Peter to take an even greater step of faith than just surviving the experience. And so for Peter, it was more than just surviving the experience. At a certain point when he shows up and that storm ends, he will make sure that you are at just the right place that you need to be. And so we see that time and time again in the Bible. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for allowing us to to glean from the things that you've placed there and at times putting ourselves in the situation and, and Lord, seeing what you were doing in the life of the disciples and then seeing what you want to do in our lives. We pray, God, as we realize that in life there's going to come some times when we find ourselves walking through some storms. We pray, Lord, <laughs> that it's in those storms that we look back at the God's stories of all the times that you've shown up so that when those storms come, we have the faith to believe for what it is that you now want to accomplish. Lord, we want to be more than just people who get nicer and nicer, who get more and more knowledge. 
We want to be people who actually not just believe in you, but actually believe you and trust you for greater things that you want to see accomplished. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.